Unleavened Bread Ministries presents From your hands, your feet, your side Unleavened Bread Bible Studies with David Eels Can quench my thirsting soul Purest water made me whole Let your streams of mercy flow Oh Jesus, I trust in Hello, saints. God bless you, and thank you for joining us. I hope you're ready to study some more. We've been studying on the power of the tongue. And, uh, well, I tell you, we need a refresher course every so often because sometimes you get a little rusty, right? We just thank our Father for putting a watch before our lips, you know, because He can certainly help us with this. You know, no man can tame the tongue, right? It's a restless evil, the Bible says, and very destructive. Oh, Father, in the name of Jesus, we, uh, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for the sacrifice in Exodus 15, Lord, that you, um, you cast that tree into the bitter waters of Marah and healed them, and the waters were made sweet. And we thank you, Lord, that that's a type and a shadow of the tongue that you have healed at the cross. And, uh, Lord, we, uh, we trust in you to do this thing in us that we are not capable of doing according to your word in James chapter 2. But we put our trust in you, Father, James 3. We trust in you to, to finish the good work you started in us, to perfect us in heart, so that our words may be your words and that they may go forth and do the creative work that you've designed them to do. And, uh, Lord, thank you. Thank you. Lord, give us grace today to understand and to study your word. We enjoy these times, Lord, of just um, gathering around your word and sowing that seed in our hearts. Thank you, Father. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Well, I think I'll start in um, Ecclesiastes chapter 5. It's a verse we've shared uh, in the last teaching, but it's very important. It says, Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God. For to draw nigh to hear is better than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they know not that they do evil. Yes, indeed. Be not rash with thy mouth. And let not thy heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven, and thou upon the earth. Therefore let thy words be few. Amen to that. Well, I think what we're going to discover today is that the reason we need to be careful what we say before God is because we're always before the court of heaven. There is literally a court going on. And it has uh, to do with our words being judged. What is it that our words reveal? Well, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Our words give proof of our heart. And so we're in the midst of court. Uh, being judged according to Matthew chapter 12, verse 36, it says, I say unto you, 
that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. And um, idle words are, of course, unfruitful words. Again, they are the evidence of what is in our heart. And we are in God's courtroom, so to speak. And the devil is our prosecutor. And, of course, we're going to see that Jesus is our defense attorney. And uh, just as in any court, words have a lot to say about who's guilty and who's not. And um, today we're going to look at that a little bit. Glory be to God. And uh, I think a really good example is is Job. You know, let's turn to Job and let the Lord show us some some of His precious Word there. Okay, Job chapter one, verse six. Now it came to pass on the day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord that Satan also came among them. Now, the word Satan here is the Hebrew word for accuser or adversary. He is the accuser. He is um, the uh, prosecuting attorney in this case. And you can see it very plainly as you read uh, Job with this thought in mind. We're told in Revelation chapter 12, that um, in verse 10, And I heard a great voice in heaven saying, Now is come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ. Just think about that, folks. That's what's coming. The timing of this is coming. The salvation, the power, the kingdom of God and the authority of His Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, who accuseth them before our God day and night. We are being accused by the prosecutor. And um, the word categoros here means to accuse as in court. Uh, Some people translate that word to mean that, to accuse as in a court. The devil is accusing us before God day and night. Matter of fact, in Job, that's exactly what he was doing. And uh, that's why he was there in the midst of the sons of God. He was there to be the accuser, which is what his name means if you actually translate it. Okay, His name right there in that verse, verse 6, Job 1 and 6. And um, he came among them. The Lord said unto Satan, notice what the the Lord is doing here. The Lord uh, sticks up for Job time after time before Satan. Of course, he wants to teach Job a thing or two. Job has a thing or two to learn, frankly. uh, But he is, as we've said in the past, doing what he knows to do. He's walking in the light. You can't do any better than that. you know. And God knows that. It is to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not. To him, it is sin. And Job's not doing what he knows to be sin. Okay? And... um, the Lord said unto Satan, Whence cometh thou? And then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? If 
for there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and turneth away from evil. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Notice that the Lord is on Job's side, and he sticks up for him. But at the same time, he is obviously wanting this trial to go forward, because he wouldn't have brought it to Satan's attention if he didn't, right? And verse 10 says, Hast thou not made a hedge about him, and about his house, and about all that he hath on every side? And thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thy hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will renounce thee to thy face. Well, Satan seems to have the opinion that Job will speak words against God. Now, that's not uncommon today, is it, for even Christians to speak words against God and to disagree with what his promises and his word clearly state. And so, verse 12, And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not thy, forth thy hand. Well, as you know, uh, Satan sent pretty, four pretty strong judgments against Job. Um, the Sabaeans attacked, and then the fire of God fell, and the Chaldeans attacked, and the, and the, the great wind smote their the uh, four corners of the house, and it fell on the, the young men, and they died, and so on and so forth. So four pretty strong judgments came against Job. And uh, and Job spoke. Okay, now this is what the devil wants. Is he, In the midst of trial, he wants us to speak things for which he can accuse us. He wants to prosecute us, and he wants to prove that what's in our heart is... Um, not the kingdom of God, right? In verse 20, Job arose and rent his robe and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped. <laughs> That's a pretty big feat right there, right? Just to be able to worship after you've gone through such a thing. In verse 21, And he said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The, the Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. He didn't charge God foolishly. Well, people suffer far less setbacks today, and they do charge God foolishly. And um, even with minor things, they don't realize in many cases that they are speaking against the Word of God, that they are charging God foolishly. And um, the next stroke against Job was against his body with the boils and so on and so forth. And um, even his wife said in verse 9, Does thou still hold fast thine integrity, renounce God, and die? And renounce, of course, is um, to speak against, you know, to speak foolishly against. And he said, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speak. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God? Shall we not receive evil? And in all this did not Job sin with his lips. Now, in Ecclesiastes 5 it says, Suffer not thy lips to cause thy flesh to sin. 
we found in James chapter 3 that the tongue turns the whole body. If you speak negatively of God's promises in disagreement and unbelief in God's promises, you're going to pay a penalty for that, for those idle words. Uh, he, he said that those idle words would cause you to be condemned, you know, because you're not agreeing with God. You are renouncing what his very word says. And so we see that the devil thought that he could, through these judgments, cause Job to speak against God. Now, you know, God knew Job, and he knew exactly what he was going to do. But that's not the point. I mean, this is a, um, a courtroom that we're in, so to speak, and there has to be proof. There will be proof. It, it's not just a judgment of a heart. It's a judgment of a mouth that proves what's in the heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. If you want to change your heart, pay attention to your tongue, right? And if you make a decision that, no, what I've said is against the Word of God, and I reject that, then God honors that, you see. Even if you say it, and you turn around and you renounce what you said, I don't accept that, I don't believe that, I believe such and such, and begin to confess the Word of God. Watching your tongue is uh, very important, because in so doing, you're watching your heart. And when you uh, repent of things that you say, then you're making a, a conscious decision to reject something that's in your heart that doesn't belong there, right? God honors this. He says if we walk in the light as he is in the light, the blood of Christ uh, cleanses us of all unrighteousness. We have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us of all unrighteousness. So decisions have to be made to be cleansed, right? When you're cleansing your heart, it's because you're making decisions. God brings us through trials so that we can face these decisions. You would never face them otherwise. Job would have never faced the decision that he did without this trial. He would have never been cleansed the way he was without this trial. He would have never grown in the Lord. He would have never discovered the self-righteousness that was hiding in his heart without this fiery trial that he went through. And so, the prosecutor accused, and the Lord defended, and Job was found um, faultless up until this point. Now, and as you know, in chapter 3, Job said a little thing that many people hang upon, which I think is pretty important. He said, For the thing which I fear cometh upon me, and that which I am afraid of cometh unto me. Meaning, of course, that you know, fear is faith, as we've discovered in the past. It's just faith in the curse. It's not faith in the gospel. It's faith in the curse. And if you've got faith, Jesus said, Be it unto you according to your faith. Be careful of fear. Be careful of thoughts, because they generally come out of your mouth. And when they come out of your mouth, you have something to be convicted of. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, by thy words thou shalt be condemned. We know the prosecutor wants to condemn us in the courtroom of heaven. He's the accuser of the brethren. Day and night he does this before the Lord, until the Lord comes to the point where he's had enough. And frankly, because I believe the saints are walking in their, in their sanctification, 
and uh, the Lord cast him down, right? Well, we can see this same story over in uh, Zechariah, and uh, chapter 3. And uh, again, uh, a courtroom-type situation. Let me read it to you. And he showed me Joshua the high priest. That's the word for Jesus, and I believe that Joshua in this text uh, represents the body of Christ. You'll see why in just a minute. And he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to be his adversary or accuser. And so, obviously, um, Satan was standing at the right hand of Joshua, who in this case represents the body of Christ, which would put him on the left hand of the Lord. Satan stands on the left hand of the Lord. That will be important as we go on. I'll share something with you. And uh, the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuked thee, O Satan. Now, I'll share something with you that I've discovered. I don't have time to go into it right now. But in the Scriptures, there's Jehovah is God, the Scripture says, in many places. And the word uh, YHWH has been translated Jehovah or Yahweh. And uh, God, in many cases, I think nine times out of ten that I have discovered, it is plural. Jehovah is God. And there is also Jehovah, the Holy One of Israel, who the Bible says was rejected by Israel. Guess, you, guess who that is? The Holy One of Israel. One of Israel. Right? That is Jesus Christ. But then there is Jehovah of hosts, the Lord of hosts. And he is the Father, and he is the judge. And um, the Lord is our defender. You know, he is our um, defense attorney. Okay, And um, notice, the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuked thee. I believe this is Jesus saying to the Father, The Lord rebuked thee. The Father rebuked thee, O Satan. Yea, the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuked thee. Chosen. So he's talking about the chosen. What does chosen Jerusalem have to do with um, Joshua being accused here? Well, because they represent the same thing. It is the chosen people of God. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? Now, Joshua was clothed with filthy garments. And, of course, you know garments in the New Testament... um, the uh, bright garments of the bride in Revelation were the righteous acts of the saints. So we are making our garments as we go along, folks, by our, our works. Our garments are made by our works. And Romans 13 speaks about putting on the Lord Jesus Christ and not making provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. And so we're putting on the works of Christ. We're putting on the nature of Christ, okay? And um, so, but this Joshua was clothed with filthy garments. He was a sinner and needed to be saved by grace, right? And was standing before the angel. And he answered and spake unto those that stood before him, saying, Take the filthy garments from off of him. And unto him he said, Behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee with rich apparel. Oh, that's grace, isn't it? 
This is grace, by the way, that can only come to those who have faith. For by grace have you been saved through faith. And that's none of yourselves. It's a gift of God. And your faith is proven by what you say. With the heart man believes unto righteousness. With the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Again, we found out confession is the word homo legeo. It means to speak the same as. How do we get the benefits of the salvation, which is so broad? I mean, it's salvation, spirit, soul, body, circumstances, everything. That's how big salvation is. It's not just going to heaven. So salvation is so broad. How do we get the benefits of it? By believing and confessing the promises of God concerning it. No matter which area of our life those promises cover. Believing and confessing those gives us the benefit because this is how we prove faith. Faith without works is dead. I will show you my faith by my works, James said. So it's important for us to have this grace that is being offered to Joshua here or the body of Christ that um, we have faith and it's proven faith because if you want the grace of God, speak it. Confess it before men if you want it. If you don't, then just let it be in your heart and let there be no proof to your faith. Okay? Jesus asked for proof of faith in the people that he healed, delivered, and so on. He asked for that. And verse 5, And I said, Let them set a clean miter upon his head. And they set a clean miter upon his head. This is, of course, the renewed mind of Christ, right? And clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. Amen. And the angel of the Lord protested unto Joshua, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts. That's the name, I believe, that's given to the Father. And if thou wilt walk in my ways, and if thou wilt keep my charge, then thou shalt judge my house, and shalt also keep my courts, and I will give thee a place of access among these that stand by. Now, I don't want to go into the prophetic aspect of this. We've already done that in other teachings, but... Just the, the courtroom suspense here, you know, of um, the prosecution, the accuser, and the defense. The defense attorney, of course, being the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, so this is constantly going on. He's accusing us day and night before God. And what is he using? Well, by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. So... We should be very slow to speak, and we need God's help. So we ask him to set a watch before our lips, that we don't speak things that will bring judgment. And when we do speak things, and we recall afterwards, that no, that's not what the Scripture says. I don't believe that. I'm not going to say that. And uh, we cast it down, and we renounce it. Then uh, God will honor that, and he will have mercy. You know... um, We don't always come to the place that we have a place of access uh, among those that stand by. I mean, all of God's people don't do that because they begin to, they continue to confess contrary to the Word of God uh, what is contrary to God. They add to, they take away from the Word of God, 
and uh, it brings a curse upon them. By thy words thou shalt be justified, by thy words thou shalt be condemned. And in Numbers 14, we see a good example of this. You know, the, the witnesses came back from um, spying out the nations and um, brought a bad report, at least all but two of them did. And the heart of the people was cast down because of the report. They began to confess that they were going to die in the wilderness, and God was very displeased with them. In 14.11, the Lord said unto Moses, How long will this people despise me? How long will they not believe in me? That's what he calls despising, not believing in him. Not believing the word he gave them, which was that he was going to bring them to a land of milk and honey, and that... um, he was going to bring them through that wilderness. But they kept professing and proclaiming that, uh, no, God brought us out here to kill us in this wilderness. Yeah. After all the signs which I have wrought among them. You know, when the signs are wrought, then God's people become responsible. And, uh, you know, when you see those signs, you should repent and start especially confessing the word of the Lord. I will smite them with a pestilence and disinherit them and make of thee a greater nation and a mightier than they. And, um, well, as you know, Moses, as Jesus, interceded for the people of God. And uh, God pardoned for the moment anyway. Verse 20, he said, I have pardoned. But he says in verse 22, because all those men that have seen my glory and my signs which I wrought in Egypt and in the wilderness, yet have tempted me these ten times and have not hearkened unto my voice, surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto them, unto their fathers, uh, neither shall any of them that despise me see it. Well, he swear unto them, folks, but, you know, God's promises are all conditional. They're all conditioned upon faith. And they despised him. They did not believe him, according to what his word was in uh, verse 12. And uh, it was. he also told them, as uh, we shared last time, that say unto them, as I live, verse 28, saith the Lord, surely as you have spoken in mine ears, so will I do unto you. So, He did not bring them to the sanctification that we saw in Zechariah. The gift of sanctification and holiness that was given to the body of Christ through Jesus Christ. He didn't bring them to that place because they, what? Continued to speak against God. And uh, we're warned, you know, that the curse will come upon us if we continue to... Add to or take away from God's word. Revelation uh, 21 and 18. I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto them. Now how can we add to the words of the prophecy of the book? Well it's very simple. Religion does this quite frequently. And um, it's leaven. Anything you add to God's word is leaven. You know, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Why? Because they added to God's word all their religious ideas and things that, quite frankly, made it easy on the flesh. They weren't, they were not self-crucifying words like the word of God is. They made it easy on the flesh. 
and God's not pleased when that happens. So, the people who hear the words of this book, If any man shall add unto them, God shall add unto him the plagues which are written in the book. Now, there's a lot of humanism in God's people, a lot of foolishness in God's people. We love to explain God away with uh, modern-day, flesh-pleasing, ear-tickling doctrines because they permit us to live. But when we just look at the pure Word of God and uh, we see that the Word of God uh, expects of us to walk in the steps of Jesus Christ in the way of His early disciples, in the way of power over sin, over sickness, over the curse, when we see that the, that this is what God passed on to us as disciples of Jesus Christ, and we begin to add our humanistic ideas and ways to that so that we can be normal as everybody around us, you know, Christians begin to not want to be rejected by the world, so they want to be accepted, so they water down the Word of God with their own ideas. But you see... God says we don't want to add to his word, not one jot and not one tittle, you know. And verse 19 says, And if any man shall take away from the words of the prophecy of this book, God shall take away his part from the tree of life and out of the holy city which are written in this book. So we don't want to deduct any from what God says. We need to be very careful. We need to be fearful before the Lord not to change his word one way or the other in what we say, in what we think, and how we walk. You know, we are, we are uh, commanded of the Lord uh, to walk as disciples of Jesus Christ, that is, learners and followers of Jesus Christ. And in our words, if we add to or take away from, we can expect nothing but the curse. The devil is there as the prosecutor, and I might say that he's not just the prosecutor, that, uh, that he's the persecutor. And he's the um, the executor <laughs> of the curse. And um, that, of course, the Lord Jesus wants to be our defense attorney. But um, the devil is constantly uh, prosecuting us before the court of heaven according to what we say. When we add to or take away from God's word, he has a right to do that. And, frankly, that's how we come into judgment, the scripture says. Right? So... In uh, John 14, let me show you something. John 14 and verse 16. I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter. Another comforter. What does he mean by another comforter? Well, obviously the Lord is meaning that he is a comforter, but that the Holy Spirit is another comforter. That he may be with you, Forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, for it beholdeth him not, neither knoweth him, but you know him, for he abideth with you and shall be in you. Another comforter. Uh, the word uh, comforter there, or parakletos, is, uh, is a, uh, a courtroom word, basically. And it means um, like a defense attorney. It, um, it's used in a court of law as a defense attorney. 
And the word actually means um, called to one's side as a help. Right? But again, that term is used as a defense attorney. So we see that the Lord himself is our mediator. He's the mediator between us and the judge. Right? And um, he comes to our side to be our helper. It is the Lord himself. Now, he went away in order to send the Holy Spirit, but the Bible declares in 1 John chapter 2 that he is our advocate. Another word that's used for a defense attorney. He is our advocate, and the word there in 1 John 2 and verse 1 is the same word, parakletos, right? My little children, these things write I unto you that you may not sin. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, the covering for our sins, and uh, not for ours only, but also for the whole world. So we see that Jesus is our advocate. He is the one who defends us before the judge, right? Oh, thank you, Father. And, um, wow, don't we need it, right? And uh, also in Hebrews uh, chapter 13, I would say we see this same thing in the high priest. Now, I'm going to go to Hebrews chapter 3. Okay, Hebrews 3 and um, verse 1. And it says, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling. The word calling means uh, invitation. We are partakers of a heavenly invitation. We've been invited to heaven. We've been invited to enter into the kingdom of heaven while still on earth. The kingdom of heaven is in the midst of you, right? Jesus said, right? And, um, you know, uh, he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So when you enter more and more into Christ, you're entering into the kingdom of God. You're entering into heavenly places, right? And he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing, but these blessings are in Christ Jesus. So we are partakers of this heavenly calling, this invitation to come and partake of everything in Christ. You see that? Okay, And he says, wherefore, holy brethren, um, separated brethren, sanctified brethren, same word, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, even Jesus. The high priest of our confession. There it is again. This time it's a slightly different word, homologia, homologia. And, uh, and it means the same thing, speaking the same as. Speaking the same as. He is the high priest of our confession. And, of course, it is to speak the same as. That is, the same as Jesus spoke. The same as the Word of God speaks. We are commanded not to add to or take away from. And this word represents that. Our speech being in agreement with God. That's what this word means, confession. And um, as our speech is in agreement with God, 
the Lord Jesus is able to confess us before the Father, as Matthew chapter 10 tells us in verse 32. Everyone, therefore, who shall confess me before men, him will I confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Well, before men, the Lord expects us to agree with the word of God. That's a trial. I know it is, because we want to be accepted by the world, and we know that they're not going to understand us, Lord. But the Lord demands it, that we confess him before men. These, When he uses the term men in this way, he's not going to not talking about the saints. He's not talking about the brethren here. He's talking about before the world. He wants a witness to the world. He wants us to confess him and agree with what his word says before the world in the midst of our trial. You know, like Job, who was being tried and prosecuted, even though he may not have known it. He was being cross-prosecuted for his words uh, before the heavenly court. You know, we have authority here. You know, what we bind on earth, Matthew 18 and 18, is bound in heaven. And what we loose on earth is loosed in heaven. How does this happen? Well, because what we say and what we do before men is either confessed before God by Jesus or denied before God by Jesus. And and so we have authority here. We're the ones who actually... uh, create our own future in a way we walk by grace and we create a good future we walk according to the world and according to sin and speak things contrary to God and we create a very bad future life and death are both in the power of the tongue they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof right and so we want to be careful that we say everything that the Bible says before men I know that we have grace in our ignorance. We saw that, you know, in Zechariah chapter 3. There is grace for us, and we're ignorant. But when we understand what God's will is, to him that knoweth the good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. When we understand what is the will of God, then we become responsible. We become responsible. And uh, we have a high priest of our confession because he wants to bring an offering before our Father. And if you look in chapter Hebrews chapter 4, and verse 14, it says, Having then a great high priest who hath passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we have not a high priest that cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but one that hath been in all points tempted like we yet without sin. And let us draw near with boldness under the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help in time of need. Now, he's inferring here, of course, that the way we draw near to the throne of grace with boldness is, of course, with faith, obviously, because there's no other way we can come before God except by faith and the sacrifice of Jesus. But also, he says, let us hold fast our confession, speaking the same as, once again, because we have this high priest who has enabled us to come before the Father. 
he said, we are to hold fast our confession. And um, chapter 8 and verse 1 says, Now, in the things which we are saying, the chief point is this, that we have such a high priest who sat down on the right hand of the throne of the majesty. So here again, you see that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father. And as we saw in Zechariah 3, the devil's on the left hand of the judge, right? On the right hand of the throne of majesty in the heavens. And I I remember a dream that a brother shared with me many years ago, which was very significant, I think. He saw a line of people coming up to the throne. On the right hand was Jesus sitting, and on the left hand of God was Satan. And uh, Satan was had a, an old-style cannon in front of him, pointed right where these people were coming to present themselves before God. It was pointing right at that front person in line there. <clears throat> and the, the guy told me, he said, Satan had a light a lighter stick, and he was dancing around gleefully, wanting to stick that lighter stick to the fuse and set that cannon off and, and um, destroy his adversaries there. And um, God had his hand over there in front of Satan, like, you know, in front of him, stopping him from doing this. And I thought, well, boy, that is exactly what the Scripture teaches, you know, about the court of heaven and, and that we're on trial. And that um, uh, with, with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. We do confess the mercy and the grace of God. We do confess the promises of God. And our faith that, that let God be true and every man a liar justifies us in our words, the Bible says. You see, we're justified in our words when we agree with God. We're accounted righteous, is what that word means. And so we can see that Satan is not only the, the prosecutor, he's the executor, right? And um, he executes the curse upon those who speak a curse. You know, life and death are in the power of the tongue, right? And he goes on to say here, verse 3, For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Wherefore, it's necessary that this high priest also have some what to offer. Well, of course, uh, Jesus is the high priest. He offers sacrifices uh, to the Father from us. He must have something to offer. And Hebrews chapter 13 gives us a revelation of what that is. Hebrews 13 and 15, it says, Now, I know there's a lot of differences here in the uh, translations. Some in particular pretty well murder this verse. But uh, um, I've looked at it very closely, both in the ancient manuscripts and the numerics. And I've discovered that this verse is, in my Bible, is very close. Very, In fact, it's almost exactly like the numerics. And it says, Through him let us offer up a sacrifice. This is talking about the sacrifice we give to the high priest of our confession, 
Right? Why is he called the high priest of our confession? Because this is what he offers before the Father. Okay? Uh, no confession, no offering. Bad confession, you give the uh, prosecutor a right to accuse you. Right? Through him, let us offer up a sacrifice of praise to God continually. Not just in church. Continually. That means wherever you are, whoever you're in the front of, we are to agree with the word of God. Homo legeo. Speak the same as. Right? Through him let us offer up a sacrifice of praise. And the word praise here is um, a word that is used in the New Testament only, in this case, it's speaking only of our praise to God. It's used very seldom in the New Testament, but that's what it means. And it's um, of a narration of a commendation or a praise. A praise means to boast about what God has done. Boast about Him, what He said, what He's done. We're to brag on God to everybody. That's what praise is. Praise is not singing songs in church. Of course, you, you can brag about what God does in some of the songs that you sing in church. But it says here, continually. Meaning all the time, not just in church. It's easy to confess God before the brethren, or at least some brethren, that is, and some others not so much. But are you going to do it before men as Jesus commanded? You see, this is the important thing. And uh, continually, that is, what is it? The fruit of the lips. You saw how through Proverbs spoke much about the fruit of the lips. Either life or death was the fruit of the lips. Either blessing or cursing is the fruit of the lips. Right? And they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof, the scripture says. Right? So, the fruit of the lips which makes confession to his name. Confession to his name. Meaning, we speak the same as. Uh, his name is a representation of who he is. The word name in the New Testament, onoma, means Nature, character, and authority. It is a representation of who Jesus is to us. And we speak the same as. We speak in agreement with who he is, what he has said. You know, Jesus was the Word made flesh. If you confess Jesus, you confess the Word, because the Word is Jesus. The Word is a physical representation of Jesus. Your Word is a representation of you, right? And, uh, of course, you may want to change that. <laughs> Some of us need to change that a little bit, right? So we watch carefully what we say because of these exhortations, and we have opportunity to um, turn away from things that are contrary to God. We have opportunity to make decisions. God honors our decisions and turn away from things that we say. And be careful, right? So, we make confession to his name. And we're told in uh, chapter 9 and verse 24, For Christ entered not into a holy place made with hands, like in pattern to the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear before the face of God for us. Well, obviously... We need to give to him a sacrifice to bring before God. We are all priests, but he is a high priest. And when we, uh, we bring that offering, that sacrifice, that confessing him before men, he offers that before God, 
and we receive what we confess. And he tells us in uh, chapter 10 and verse 19, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holy place by the blood of Jesus. Obviously, you can't come before God without grace, and you can't have grace unless you believe that you were sanctified through the blood of Christ, right? In verse 20, By the way which he dedicated for us. In other words, he made, he showed us the way. We're supposed to follow in his steps, right? By the way which he dedicated for us, a new and a living way, through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And uh, having a great priest over the house of God, uh, let us draw near with a true heart in fullness of faith having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, and having our body washed with pure water. And here's how you do it. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope, that it waver not, for he is faithful that promised. That's the exhortation to us. If we want to enter into the Holy of Holies and walk in the presence of God, we need to confess what he's told us. Speak the same as what he has told us. And um, so we've been exhorted to this so many times that we should understand that the high priest has to have something to offer. It's up to us to make sure that happens. I'd like to look just for a minute at Proverbs chapter 12. Since we have just a few minutes left, I want to share another exhortation there. Proverbs 12 and verse 13. In the transgression of the lips is a snare to the evil man. Even the wicked are judged for what they say, because what they say reveals who they are. It reveals their heart, right? But the righteous shall come out of trouble. Now, of course, God is inferring in the same way. The transgression of the lips destroys the wicked man, but the righteous lips Give grace to God's people. And a verse that kind of goes along with that, 13 and 3 says, He that guardeth his mouth keepeth his life. Think about that, folks. We would take this seriously. He that guardeth his mouth keepeth his life. And he that openeth wide his lips shall have destruction. Wow. Is there some destruction in your life? Is it possible that it's because you have spoken against God? We need to be careful. We need to study these things, as we saw already. And, and back in chapter 12, verse 14, A man shall be satisfied with good by the fruit of his mouth. Where does good come from? You speak it right out of your mouth. Do you want what the Bible says? Then you got to agree with it. Homo legeo, right? And... The doing of a man's hands shall be rendered unto him. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he that is wise hearkeneth unto counsel. A fool's vexation is presently known. Why? Because it comes out of his mouth. right? But a prudent man concealeth shame. In other words, there are things you should never let come out of your mouth. And when you realize that they're in your heart, you need to rebuke them and renounce them and turn away from them. Confess your sins unto the Lord, right? Before they come out of your mouth, hopefully. 
in verse 17, He that uttereth truth showeth forth righteousness. See, when you speak truth, you are righteous, right? You are justified. Let God be true and every man a liar that thou mightest be justified, right, in thy words. But a false witness, deceit. Who is a false witness? Many Christians are false witnesses. Many of us have been false witnesses because we give a bad confession before mankind and before the Lord. We don't agree with his word. Of course, as we grow uh, up in the Lord, we should be willing to change our mind and our words, right? There is that speaketh rashly like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise is health. You want to know where health comes from? We've looked at this a couple, three times now, concerning where health comes from. It comes right out of your mouth. Will you confess what the Bible says about health? You know? Will you confess that you were healed at the cross, like the Bible says? Will you confess by whose stripes you were healed, instead of, I got this, and I got that, and dwelling upon all these cursed things that you're bringing upon yourself because you're not calling the things that be not as though they were. You're calling the things that are as though they were. There's no faith in that, folks. It will perpetuate the curse upon you. So the tongue of the wise is health. The lip of truth shall be established forever. Meaning, of course, the lip of truth is eternal. Meaning, of course, the person who speaks truth is eternal. Right? But... A lying tongue is but for a moment. Why is that? (laughs) And what is a lying tongue, right? Listen, Proverbs 30 and 5 says, Every word of God is tried. He is a shield unto them that take refuge in him. Add thou not unto his words, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. You know, when you add to God's words... That's a lie. When you take away from God's words, that's a lie. His words are truth. The lips of truth shall be established forever. But a lying tongue is but for a moment. Oh, we need to be careful, folks. We need to be very careful. Verse 22. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but they that deal truly are his delight. Oh, glory to God. Now, don't you want to really talk right before God and be careful when you're before the throne and uh, before the judgment seat, right? And uh, let the Lord Jesus be your defense attorney. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 11. And it says, Now these things happened unto them by way of example. And the word example here, as I've told you many times before, is it means figure or type. These things happened unto them, that is, the natural Jews, natural Israel, uh, by way of a figure or type. And they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages are come. That certainly applies to us. We're at the end of an age here, aren't we? So God used natural Israel as a type and a shadow for us. They were, of course, naturally Israelites, they had a natural kingdom, and the letter was actually written to them. 
But as you know, Paul said, the letter killeth, but the spirit giveth life. And since we're not natural Israelites, but we've been grafted into the olive tree because of our faith, and we are accounted as sons of Abraham because of our faith, we're just spiritual Israelites, and um, our the seed of Israel hasn't been passed to us in the natural. It's passed to us through the word of God, right? That's the seed that brings forth New Testament spiritual Israel. But yet, natural Israel, everything that happened unto them was a parable for us. God used a smaller group of people to be a sign for a much larger group of people in our day. One thing I'd like to point out to you is um, what God called them to do as far as taking the promised land. Okay, Because there's many good things that we can study there, and uh, if we understand that this is talking to us and that we have to interpret the letter uh, by spirit and understand what what's been spoken to us at the end of this age, you know. So God gave great promises to Israel of their land of milk and honey, this great land that was going to bear much fruit unto them. The only problem was. It was ruled over by a bunch of people that didn't know God, people that were sinners, the Canaanites. They were to take Canaan's land, but the Canaanites stood in their way. The Canaanites ruled over the land that was promised to them. The Canaanites bore their own fruit in that land. And they ruled over it, and of course they had their false gods that ruled over them. And God told Israel, you take up your swords, you go in there, I'll be with you, but you kill the Canaanites. You take their land, you dwell in their houses, you raise up your own fruit in that land. So what is the parable in our day? And how can we get something out of it concerning um, the power of the tongue? Well, in the natural, they took up a natural sword and they uh, fought with a flesh and blood enemy. People have asked me this question. Lord, why is it in the New Testament we're not permitted to, to fight with mankind? And yet in the Old Testament they were commanded to take up the sword and kill. Well, it's because of the difference between the letter and the spirit. Uh, what happened to them in the letter has to happen to us in the spirit. Okay, Since we're not natural Israelites, we're spiritual Israelites, then we have to have the spirit, right? And we're told in Ephesians chapter 6 in verse 10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Whoa, we're, we're not fighting with man here. We're fighting with the devils, aren't we? We're fighting with the devil and his demons, aren't we? And uh, it goes on to say, For our wrestling is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers and against the world rulers of this darkness, and against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. So, we're not wrestling with flesh and blood. We don't use a physical sword. 
to fight with mankind. But we are fighting a battle. And uh, the gods who ruled over the Canaanites, they, they were demons. And for, quite frankly, today, we're in just such a situation, but we don't realize it sometimes. You know, we've got a land to conquer. And I'm going to share with you, I'm going to show you what that land is. It's our own life that has to be conquered. But there's a carnal man that rules in the land. And um, he's bearing his own fruit in the land. He's got, he owns the house in the land. And uh, he is to be driven out by the New Testament spiritual Israelites. Of course, when we read on down here, we find out that the sword is not a physical sword. It's the sword of the Spirit. It's the sword of the spoken word, as we read on down. Let me read verse 13 first. Wherefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Well, when they stood... In Canaan's land, they were standing for their life. They could lose their life at the hands of that carnal man that lived in that land. And um, we have, we're talking about eternal life this time. You know, for them it was physical life, but for us it's eternal life. For them it was the letter, and for us it's the spirit, right? Well, in verse 17, he tells us to take up the sword, right? And the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the Word of God. So since we're spiritual people, we take up the sword of the Spirit. We're uh, wrestling with the principalities and powers that rule over the carnal man, right? Like they did in the Old Testament. They were the gods over the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, so on and so forth. All the ites there, you know. You know, the devil and his principalities, they attempt to rule this life through the carnal man who lives in the land. So what is our battle with? Our battle is not just with the gods that rule over the carnal man, but with the carnal man. Matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, in verse 3 and 4, we have a a verse that goes along with this. And it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but mighty before God to the casting down of strongholds. Is he talking about demon principalities right now? Yeah, but he's talking about demon principalities ruling through the carnal man. Because the gods that ruled in Canaan's land, they ruled through the carnal man who lived in the land. And so we're talking about the same thing here. We see that um, that our weapons are mighty before God to casting down of strongholds, casting down imaginations. Uh, what you see in here is the mind of the flesh, the carnal man that lives and rules in this land, right? The land of self. Watch. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that's exalted against the knowledge of God. And bringing every thought into captivity 
to the obedience of Christ. Now we're talking about controlling the mind of the flesh, right? We've been given the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, to uh, fight with the principalities and powers and uh, the world rulers of this darkness. And um, we are casting down these imaginations. So we're, we're, make, we're making war on the gods and on the carnal man that lives in the land. You know, he says, we take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Well, isn't it the spoken Word? Yes, of course, it's the spoken Word. We speak the Word of God, we speak in agreement with the Word of God, and through this, we're able to conquer our enemies. We're able to defeat our enemies. Second Corinthians 7 and 1 says, Having therefore these promises, which is what? The Word of God. Let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit. There it is. Those two right there. Flesh and spirit. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So what is it to conquer the flesh, that is the carnal man who lives in the land, and the spirits that rule over the carnal man that lives in the land? It is perfecting holiness. See, uh, this is what God is after. He wants a holy people. A holy people is a powerful people, right? So we see here um, that we are to take the promises like a sword, go into the promised land, put to death the carnal man, conquer his God, and take that land for ourselves. To rule over. When the Israelites went into the land, they went in as the spiritual man to conquer the carnal man. You might say they went to conquer the lusts of the flesh. And we take up our two-edged sword to conquer the flesh and spirit that dwells in that land. And Second uh, Peter chapter 2, or chapter 1, and verse 2 says, Grace to you and peace be multiplied in the knowledge of God. Where does that come from? It comes from the Word of God. The only place you can get the knowledge of God is from the Word of God. Grace to you and peace be multiplied in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Seeing that His divine power hath granted unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Through the knowledge, again the word, of him that called us by his own glory and virtue, whereby he hath granted unto us his precious and exceeding great promises, that through these, that's the sword of the Spirit, right? The precious and exceeding great promises, that through these we may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that's in the world by lust. So, we take the promises of the Word of God as the, as the sword of the Spirit to bring into dominion the divine nature. What's that? The spiritual man who is created in the image of God. The spiritual man. And what does he conquer? Those, the corruption that's in the world already by lust. Conquering the carnal man, bringing 
This is our battle here, folks. We are going into the promised land with the sword of the Spirit, which we see is the spoken word of God. People ask, David, do I have to quote the word of God? My memory is not that. No, you have to agree with the word of God. You have to confirm, as we're going to see in just a minute, the word of God. And when you speak in agreement with the word of God, let me tell you, there's no man that's going to be able to stand before you. That's right. That's what the Lord said. In Hebrews chapter 6, we can see clearly the land that we're talking about here. I'm laying a little foundation here so I can share some things about the tongue, okay? In Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 4, it says, For as touching those who were once enlightened and tasted of the heavenly gift, which is of course Christ, and were made partakers of the Holy Spirit, and tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then fell away, it's impossible to renew them again unto repentance. Well, so much for unconditional eternal security, right? After having all of that, if a people fall away, it's impossible to renew them to repentance. Most Christians don't have all of that, and they've never come to that state of um, great responsibility, you know, because along with power and, and wisdom and knowledge and ability comes responsibility. And, of course, that's what he's talking about here. Seeing that they crucified themselves the Son of God afresh. Do you know that the Son of God is growing in you? And he is the spiritual man. And you put him to death when you give victory to the carnal man by walking after the lust of your flesh. So you crucify to yourself the Son of God afresh. And put him to an open shame, it says here. Now listen to this. For the land which hath drunk the rain that cometh oft upon it, and bringeth forth herbs, meat for them whose sake it is also tilled, receiveth blessing from God. But if it beareth thorns and thistles, it is rejected and nigh unto a curse, whose end is to be burned. Now, notice that he's comparing the people here who had fallen away from the Lord as a land that should bring forth fruit because it's received the rain, the rain of the Holy Spirit, the rain of the Word of God, and it should have brought forth fruit. That's why it was tilled, right? He's comparing these people as a people who had been tilled and had been sown, but now they weren't bringing forth the fruit. Even after the rain has come, they are not bringing forth the fruit. And he says, it is rejected. The word here, rejected, is a docimos. It means reprobated. I don't know anything about God reprobating any physical land. So he's talking about people here. People are reprobated because they received too much to turn back. And uh, they become too responsible. And so they can become reprobated. And nigh unto a curse whose end is to be burned. Exactly so. So, uh, in a falling away, where you give ground to the carnal man to conquer the spiritual man, a person can become twice dead and plucked up by the roots. But now, he's applying this land, this parable that he's using, this land represents the people of God. It represents them. 
Where did Adam come from? Adam, the natural man, Adam, was created from the earth. He came from the land, right? The natural man, Adam. Uh, Not the spirit. God breathed into Adam the spirit. But his natural creation was made from the dust of the earth, right? So says Genesis 2 and 7. So we can see the good application there is that that we are the land. This life is supposed to bring forth the fruit of the spiritual man inside, the word of God inside. This life represents the land that uh, should be being sown with the word of God. And we have an, uh, an awesome example in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 about the land. Let me read that to you. Uh, let's start in verse um, 6. And Paul says, I planted and Apollos watered. What's he talking about here? He's talking about planting and watering people. Okay? And if you remember the parable of the sower where Jesus who was the sower, went forth to sow, and he sowed the seed, and the seed was the word of God, and he sowed it in their hearts. The land was the people, right? And he expected that to bring forth fruit 36 and 100 fold. So, uh, he's applying planting and sowing the land, which both the Canaanite did and the Israelite did. It's just a different kind of fruit. One was born unto the carnal man, and one was born unto the spiritual man, right? So we, of course, don't want the carnal man sowing any seed in our land and bringing forth any of his fruit, because it's all bad, right? But we want the spiritual man's fruit to be born in our land. So he says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then, neither is he that planteth anything, Neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now, he that planted and he that watered are one, but each shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's husbandry, which, by the way, means Tilled land. The Greek word for husbandry here means tilled land. So you see it applies directly to what we're reading in Hebrews chapter 6. For you are God's tilled land, God's building. And he goes on to talk about another parable about a building um, being built unto the Lord. And it is, again, our life. It's built with our works, and it shouldn't be built with the wood, hay, and stubble, right? So... We see here an awesome parable pointing to the fact that we are God's land and we should be bearing the fruit of the spiritual man. Another example is in Hosea chapter 10. In verse 12 it says, Sow to yourselves in righteousness. Reap according to kindness. Break up your fallow ground, talking to God's people, right? For it is time to seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon you. Oh, praise God. So here we have all, we have the sowing, we have the breaking up of the fallow ground, which is, of course, the hard-hearted earth that won't receive the seed, right? Repentance breaking up the fallow ground so it can receive the seed. 
And of course, God raining his righteousness upon us. And I like especially Leviticus chapter 18, which I want to share with you too concerning this. Leviticus 18, let's look in 24. It said, Defile not ye yourselves in any of these things, for in all these the nations are defiled. Notice, yourselves. The nations are all defiled. But God didn't want his people to be defiled. In other words, the carnal man that lived in them to be defiled. The nations are defiled, which I cast out from before you. Once again, so he's applying that to self and to the nations. And he says in verse 25, And the land is defiled. The land. So we got self the nations and the land, you see, are all defiled. And, of course, self is that old man that dwells in your land. He's defiled by his works. He's defiled. And uh, at enmity with God, he must be killed. He must be killed so that the spiritual man can live in this land, live in his house, which is this body, and... Um, and sow his seed and bring forth his fruit, right? And the, li- the land is defiled. Therefore, I do visit the iniquity thereof upon it. And the land vomiteth out the inhabitants. You therefore shall keep my statutes and mine ordinances and shall not do any of these abominations, neither the homeborn nor the stranger that sojourneth among you. For all these abominations have the men of the land done that were before you, and the land is defiled. So, the men of the land, he's talking about the old man, right, that rules in the land. The land was defiled because of these people. And um, what can we do about it? Well, God told us in Joshua what we could do to have good success in conquering the land, putting that old man to death by the edge of the sword, which is the spoken word of God, right? All right. Joshua chapter 1. Let's read in verse um, verse 1. Now it came to pass, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, what did come to pass after that? Well, Joshua took over, didn't he? Now, if you remember, Moses was not permitted to bring God's people into the promised land. Why? Because Moses represented the law. He was the lawgiver, right? He represented the letter of the law. And the law can make nothing perfect. And what we're talking about, going into the land and bearing the fruit of the spiritual man, who is Jesus Christ, We're talking about perfection. Who can bring us there? Only Joshua. Joshua is who? Jesus Christ, right? Joshua meaning Jesus in Hebrew, right? And Jesus said what? I am the way. He is the only one that can lead us into the kingdom of God, right? Moses couldn't do it. In fact, Moses has to die in us in order for Joshua to take over and bring us into the kingdom of God. Many Christians are under the law 
in many ways, but the law won't perfect and it won't bring you to the promised land because it depends upon the works of the flesh to get you there, and it's not, it's not possible. So let me read on. Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' uh, minister, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore arise and go over this Jordan, thou and all this people. The Jordan represents death. See, we not physical death, spiritual death. Because in, in order to enter the heavenly promised land, they had to go across the Jordan. Just like to go into the wilderness, they had to go across the Red Sea and the baptism of the Red Sea, which was what? Baptism, death, burial, resurrection. The old man died in the Red Sea, didn't he? The old Egyptians died in the Red Sea. But the spiritual man came up on the other side, right? And the Jordan here represents death. Thou and all this people unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, to you have I given it, as I spake unto Moses. Wow, that's, that sounds very significant. Every place that they put under their feet, God gave it to them. Now here's what the Lord told me years ago about the promised land. Number one, the promised land is the word of God. The promised land or the land of promise is the word of God. Why is that? Because the word has all those promises that are given to us. The place of bearing fruit is the word of God, right? All those promises which which give us the divine nature of Christ, according to uh, Peter, right? And so... In any place you stand upon the Word of God, God's going to give that to you, you see. Now, what is the purpose for us to stand upon the Word of God so that He gives us that promise of the promised land? It is so that the Word may be manifested in us, you see. What are we called to be as Christians? We are called to be what Jesus was. You know, we behold in the mirror the glory of the Lord, and we're transformed into that same image from glory to glory. So we're, we are called to be what Jesus was, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And who is Christ? He is the Word made flesh. And who are we called to be? The Word made flesh. So now you see the two promised lands, right? The, which are really only one, because the Word is to be God's body in the earth, right? So, the promised land is the Word, but it's also the Word in us. When the Word is manifested in us, that's the promised land. It's when the spiritual man, who is ruled over by the Word, speaks the Word, lives by the Word, has taken possession of his land, right? So he says, every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, to you have I given it. That's good news, folks. And, and you can see that divisions of Christianity stand on different parts of the Word of God, and whatever part they stand on, they receive the benefit of. And so we've got to learn to stand up upon all of it. You know, they never took more than about a third of the promised land, and, and of course they don't dwell on it today. More than a third of the property that God gave them which he gives the boundaries of in 4 and 5, or verse 4. 
very large territory there. So I don't want to dwell on that. I want to dwell on the spiritual promised land. Verse 5 says, There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. What man is he talking about? The man who dwelled in that land that was the carnal man. The one that resisted Israel from taking their promised land. That is your carnal man in you that resists the spiritual man from ruling in this house, sowing his crop, bringing forth his fruit, right? Well, God says that man is not going to be able to stand before you at all. Why is that? Because he's already taken care of this, folks. You know, Galatians 2 and 20. I have been crucified with Christ. I who? I, speaking of the carnal man. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live. It's now Christ that liveth in me. That's the spiritual man. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. See, the Lord already took care of the carnal man. He's already given us the land. The Israelites were supposed to go in complete faith because God had already conquered their land, and he's done it for us. We don't have a problem with the death of the old man. We may have a problem with faith, which they did too. But we don't have a problem with the death of the old man. That's already been solved. The solution has been given, and that's Jesus Christ, right? So he said, not a man will be able to stand before you. You take up your sword, you go. He guarantees you victory. But what is your sword? It's the spoken word of God. Amen. Well, I'd like to read on down a little bit more. It says, verse 6, Be strong and of good courage, for thou shalt cause this people to inherit the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Now, you know, our spiritual fathers were given this same promise, and they entered into great perfection, and they walked in the power of God. They spoke the word of God. The former reign gave them victory over their enemies. And they uh, had a great revival. That's our spiritual forefathers, right? And now he's saying that he will give us of this land too, the same land that he gave unto our forefathers. He said, only be strong and very courageous to observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded. Notice he wants you to do the law. Not just be a hearer of the law, but a doer of the law. Not just a hearer of the word, but a doer of the word. Not deceiving yourselves, James said. According to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee, turn not from it to the right hand nor to the left, that thou mayest have good success whithersoever thou goest. Good success in doing what? In taking the promised land away from the carnal man. He's obviously not ordained to rule this tabernacle of God. You remember when the Philistines took the tabernacle of God and brought it into their land? Who did the Philistine represent? The carnal man. But now they were ruling the tabernacle of God. What did it bring upon them? Curses after curses after curses. They decided, okay, we're not meant to rule this land. They gave that tabernacle back to Israel. They sent it back to Israel in a hurry. 
Because everywhere it went, every city that it went to, it brought curses upon them. And, and if you rule that land, the old man rules that land, and you take that vessel of God, you take that tabernacle of the presence of the Lord where you want to take it, it'll bring a curse on you. See, every time. If you'll let the spiritual man lead and take possession, then you'll be blessed in all that you do. You'll have good success. Now, how do we have good success? How do we, how do we by the grace of God, bring this to pass? Well, he says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. In other words, you need to constantly speak the word of God. Right? This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. But thou shalt meditate thereon day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then shalt thou make thy way prosperous. Then shalt thou have good success. Notice he said how to have good success, how to observe to do, how to do the law. That's what a lot of people complain. They feel like Paul in Romans chapter 7. Oh, Lord, the good that I would do, I do not, and the evil which I would not, that I do. Who will deliver me from the body of this death? Oh, I thank God through Jesus Christ, Paul said. Yeah, because he's already given us the victory, hadn't he? That's right. So we've got reason to uh, celebrate the victory, right? But here he's telling us how do we observe to do. We keep the word of God in our mouth. We speak the word of God. And we meditate on it day and night. makes it easier for it to come out of your mouth, right? Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh, right? We've already covered that, so I don't want to cover that territory again. But, you know, I'm remembering a dream I had many years ago, which was very significant to me. And in this dream, I was in this warfare to conquer the enemy, to conquer the giants in the land. And in this warfare... I had uh, captured one of the enemy, and I had him in a neck lock. I mean, with my arm around his neck, just dragging him through the woods, this enemy. And um, I came around this corner, and I saw a campfire, and I saw a giant standing by the campfire. You know, they saw the inhabitants of the land as giants, because they didn't think they could conquer them. Right? They were too big to conquer. Right? Well, if you listen to a lot of preachers, you'd come up with that same feeling about the old man, that he can't be conquered on this earth. You're always going to be a sinner. Just forget about it. Just accept God's forgiveness. Well, that's the bad report. That's the report they gave when they spied out the land. We can't conquer them. Well, these people, you need to get away from them because they, they're not speaking the word of God. They're speaking the Antichrist gospel. Okay? So... Anyway, I saw this giant. The only thing is, I knew he was a giant, but he was my size. And uh, I turned this man that I had captured loose from this neck lock just for a moment. And when I did, he spoke to that giant. And he said, bigger, bigger, bigger. And when I realized in the dream what he had done, I turned and I karate chopped him right in the voice box, in the Adam's apple. And I said, no, smaller, smaller, smaller. 
Why was I doing that? Because he was not to speak. Because this man I had captured was my carnal man. And I, I realized when God gave me the interpretation of this that the carnal man has authority to speak. What you speak, you know, your words are death and life. Life and death or death and life are in the power of the tongue. And they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. So um, the old man will speak death to the spiritual man and uh, death to the things that you want as the benefits of God. And I realized, no, I'm not supposed to let him speak. So I chopped him in the voice box so he couldn't speak. And, um, and I said, no, smaller, smaller, smaller. I knew that the carnal man had authority to make the giant bigger, to make my enemy bigger, stronger, to make it impossible for me to conquer him if I would let the old man speak out of my mouth. So I said, no, smaller, smaller, smaller. You know, the spiritual man has the authority total authority from the word of God to whittle the carnal man and the big problems in the promised land down to size. He has the authority to do that. And um, I'd like to show that to you again in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 9. And the Lord thy God will make thee plenteous in all the work of thy hand, in the fruit of thy body, and in the fruit of thy cattle, and in the fruit of thy ground, for good. For the Lord wilt again rejoice over thee for good, as he rejoiced over thy fathers. There it is again. We're, we're coming back to the time when the early disciples walked in such power and holiness, except for one thing. We're going beyond that even, you see. But we're going to have what they had in the former reign, except in the latter reign, it's going to be even a greater anointing. You see, this is when God finishes his work on his people. Now watch. If thou shalt obey the voice of the Lord thy God to keep his commandments and his statutes, which are written in this book of the law. If thou turn unto the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul. So, it's conditional. We still need to obey the Word of God. Yeah, and everybody comes up with the same question. How? Well, remember what we saw in Joshua chapter 1. He said, the way is to put the Word down in your heart and to always speak it out of your mouth. Then your success will be fantastic. That's what he said. Okay. So how? Everybody says how, how? You know. Yeah, I just need to know the practicality of this, how to do it, you know. Well, God is not asking us to do something that's impossible. Matter of fact, it is permissible. It is um, something that even the weakest of men, physically speaking, can do. Even the simplest of men, mentally speaking, can do. He's not asking us to do something that's great, because then only great men could make it, right? So let's read that. Verse 11. For this commandment which I command thee this day is not too hard for thee. See, see, there are preachers out there that say just that. It's too hard. You cannot, you cannot be obedient to all the Word of God. You gotta be, you gotta be accepted by God by grace. Well, some of these people believe 
that you can have faith without works. But the Lord says, faith without works is dead. Okay? If you got real faith, you'll have real works. Because the works follow the faith. Because the power of God comes and grace comes to the person who has real faith. Right? So these people are saying, oh, it's impossible. We can't do it. It's too hard. God says, no, it's not too hard. Neither is it far off. In other words, it's not someday down in the future when I go to heaven. It's not, because that's exactly what he says here. It's not something that's far from us at all. It's not in heaven that thou shouldest say, Who shall go up for us to heaven and to bring it to us and make us to hear it? That we may do it. Make us to hear it that we may do it. Okay? They want to do it. They want to be keepers of the word. They want to do the word. Okay? But they don't think that God has made this simple. Neither is it beyond the sea that thou shouldest say, Who shall go over the sea for us and bring it unto us and make us to hear it that we may do it? Make us to hear it that we may do it. See, if you don't hear the word of God in your heart, folks, you won't be able to do it. I mean, doing the word is a fruit of the word itself. When you put the word in your heart, it is that Word, who is Jesus Christ in you, who does the works, right? So, the people who think it's impossible, God says, no, it's not. You don't have to do some great thing. You don't have to go over the sea. You don't have to go up to heaven to receive this gift. What does he say? But the word is very nigh unto thee in thy mouth and in thy heart that thou mayest do it. See? No, the word of God that's in your mouth and in your heart, this will do it for you. Do what? Cause you to keep God's commands. Okay. The word is very nigh unto thee in thy mouth and in thy heart that thou mayest do it. Now, of course, this is quoted in, in Romans chapter 10, um, verse 8 through 10. And there it's talking about God's salvation in it. So we know that this is applying to God's salvation. What is salvation? Salvation is being delivered from the power of the carnal man and the gods that rule over the carnal man so that we may live a holy life. That's what salvation is all about. And it says there, if we believe with the heart and confess with the mouth that Jesus is Lord, there in Romans, that uh, we'll have that salvation. Okay? Well, Again, salvation is much bigger than what people have thought. It is. It, it really covers deliverance from the curse. It covers healing of the body. It covers holiness of the spirit and soul. It covers deliverance from uh, circumstances, from death. The word soteria, or the verb sozo, covers all those things. And it's translated in various ways in the New Testament. So it's kind of... You have to kind of follow that around. But the truth is, salvation is very, very big. And what he's saying is that with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth speaking the spoken word of God, we receive our salvation. And it could be deliverance from a sin, a deliverance from a demonic oppression, deliverance from a sickness or whatever. But we receive it from God. We've got to learn 
not to speak our own words. We're used to speaking our own words. We need to reprogram our mind so that we're speaking the word of God and not our own words. Listen to what God said in Isaiah chapter 58 and verse 12. And they that shall be of thee shall build the old waste places. You see, that's where our fathers were, right? Our spiritual fathers. That shall raise up the foundations of many generations. Yep, the foundations have fallen, folks. We need them back, right? And thou shalt be called the repairer of the breach. The enemy has come into the camp through the breach, right? But these people will restore the breach. The restorer of paths to dwell in. Amen. And verse 13, if, here's the condition, if thou turn away thy foot from the Sabbath, from doing thy pleasure on my holy day. See, we have to keep the Sabbath. It's, it's what? Ceasing from your works. Right? Hebrews chapter 4 tells us that it's entered in through faith, into through faith. And when you believe, you cease from your own works. You trust in God's works, right? I'm talking about God's works through you, see, because some people say all works are negative. No, that's not true, because if you bear the fruit of Christ, then you have Christ's works in you, right? From doing thy pleasure on my holy day, call the Sabbath a delight, and the the holy of the Lord honorable, and shalt honor it, not doing thine own ways, nor finding thine own pleasure, nor speaking thine own words. See, we will not enter into God's rest by speaking our own words. It has to be the words of the Lord. That's what gives us the victory. Then shalt thou delight thyself in the Lord, and I will make thee to ride upon the high places of the earth, and I will feed thee with the heritage of Jacob thy father. There it is again. We keep going back to what we left 2,000 years ago, right? Is a... The great inheritance that our fathers received straight from Jesus Christ. Well, we can receive it straight from him today, can't we? With the heritage of Jacob thy father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. So, what he says is not speaking thine own words. What we have to do is what we were told in Deuteronomy chapter 27 and verse 26. It says, Cursed be he that confirmeth not the words of this law to do them. Confirmeth. How do you do them? You speak the word out of your mouth, you will be able to do it. Because you're correcting what's in your heart. Remember what we studied last time. And when you correct what's in your heart, you reject that carnal man, you reject his thoughts, and instead speak the word of the Lord correcting that spiritual man on, or giving life to that spiritual man on the inside, he says we confirm the words of this law to do them. And then he goes on to talk about if you do this, all these blessings are going to come upon you. He lists all the blessings in, in uh, Deuteronomy 28 below it. You see, So we're called to not speak our own words, but to confirm the word of the Lord. And he says, if we do this, if this word does not depart out of our mouth, we will be able to do it. Then we will have good success in what? Conquering the promised land. Taking out the carnal man, giving that house to the spiritual man, 
and having him rule instead. Psalm 107 and verse 2 says, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. You know, we're supposed to be confessing our redemption. You know, the word redemption is uh, actually the word bought. You've been bought with a price, right? Psalm 107. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the adversary. We've been bought with a price. Who is our redeemer, right? The one who paid the price that we couldn't pay. We owed a debt because of our sin that we couldn't pay. He paid a debt that he didn't know. You remember the whole song? Well, he was the next of kin, right? The law said that the next of kin could buy back property that was taken to pay a debt. And what is the property that the Lord bought back? It's this right here. This property right here. That's the type and the shadow. We owed a debt because of our sins that we couldn't pay. He paid that debt. And now he tells us, let the redeemed, that's those that have been bought out of bondage, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the adversary, the devil. Right? We are supposed to confess our redemption. We've been bought. We have been set free because of what Jesus did. We are no longer in bondage. We are no longer in bondage to sin. We are no longer in bondage to the curse of sin. No. Um, Galatians 3 and 13, Jesus became accursed for us. He bore the curse of sin. And now we're not under the curse of sin and of death. We're not under it anymore. He bore it to set us free. He was our next of kin. He was the last Adam, the father of the born again people of God. And he delivered us out of bondage. And Luke 1 and 68 speaks about this too. Let me just read that to you very quickly before I run out of time. Luke 1 and 68, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, for he hath visited and wrought redemption for his people. There it is, bought. You've been bought out. Your debt has been paid, right? And hath raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets that have been of old. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us. What enemies is he talking about? He's talking about not only the carnal man who is our enemy that has to be conquered, but the gods who rule over the carnal man. That's the demon spirits that we, we fight with. Again, we're back to Ephesians chapter 6 and 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Both the principalities and the powers and the old man. We've been delivered. Verse 74. To grant unto us that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies should serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. See, we've been delivered from the old man, from all of our enemies. The church doesn't believe much of this. But it's very important that we do. God bless you, saints. I always enjoy uh, sharing the word with you, and I hope it's going down deep in your heart. God bless you. We're going to do this again sometime, okay?
For information, materials, and to contribute, go to www.americaslastdays.com. Contributions only may be addressed to David Eels, Post Office Box 231616, Montgomery, Alabama 36123. Jesus. 